0: Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome to the uh, Monday, May 18, 2020 meeting of the Astoria City Council presented via Zoom. Uh, In the City Hall tonight are uh, myself, the city manager, chief of police, Spalding, finance director, Ms. Brooks, and administrative assistant, Jen Benoit, and the rest of the council is with us uh, remotely. And we'll take a roll call, Ms. Benoit.
1: Here.
2: Councilor West. We're having trouble hearing Jen.
1: Councilor West. Councilor Rocca. Here. Councilor We're West.
2: We're having trouble hearing you,
0: Jen. Councilor West. Councilor West, can you hear us? I saw you up there earlier. I can hear,
3: yeah, okay. I didn't okay. hear Jen, but
0: I'm here. Oh, okay. OK, thank you.
3: Councilor <laughs> Herman.
0: Okay, hey, Jen's mic's yeah. not coming through, so I'll do it. So, Councilor okay. Herman? Yeah. And Councilor Brownson? Councilor Brownson? Oh, you're, you're uh, muted. Do we have to unmute him or? <laughs> We're just looking for your name, Tom.
4: Okay, I'm
0: here. All right. Thank you. Okay, we're all present. And um, first on the agenda tonight is a presentation by Chief of Police uh, Jeff Spaulding on expulsion zones.
5: Councilors, can you hear me okay? Sounds
0: like not. We're just uh, switching out mics. Bear with us, please.
5: Councilors, can you hear me now? Barely. Barely. How about now, if I hold it up like that?
2: Yeah, we're hearing you off somebody else's mic, really.
5: I'm sorry, Counselor? He
6: hears you off of somebody else's mic. So.
0: Oh. Would any do any of these mics work, or is my mic the only one that's plugged uh, in? I
1: I think the one next to you works as well. That one.
0: Okay. Try all these. Hey Jen, uh-huh. why don't you try the
6: one over here? Counselors, can you hear from this mic?
7: Yes.
5: Excuse me uh, good evening mayor's counselors just want to confirm one more time that you can all hear me yes, yes. okay uh, this is gonna be a little awkward I'm kind of standing to the side and I got the camera to my right and I got the microphone in front of me and I got the mayor to my left so I'm gonna do the best I can to make sure I'm hitting everybody here so uh, again uh, councilors, Jeff Spaulding your police chief tonight I'm here to talk a little bit about expulsion zones just by way of reminder we had uh, two prior work sessions where this topic was broached it was brought up last april of 2019 where we talked about livability issues and in that particular meeting i mentioned to uh, council members that uh, one of the options to explore some of the chronic behavior problems we were experiencing was to look uh, at a possible exclusion zone again in december of 2019 I brought forward during a work session two different potential uh, ordinances one would be a chronic nuisance ordinance and the other would be an exclusion zone both of those were concepts brought to council just to seek if a level of support and then to move forward and actually look at presenting an ordinance at some point Um, at this point uh, we, uh, myself and the city manager both felt that this is kind of an interim step and felt that there's been a little bit of time since the last council work session and this would be an appropriate time to share some of the progress at the work that's been done. Some of the research that has been done on this topic and to make sure that there was any questions that, um, uh, you all would have towards the end. And then at that point, if there's still support, then uh, we'll bring back an actual ordinance some point in the very near future. Um, Brett, was there anything else you wanted to add to that? I know just wanted to cover that piece of it. So um, what, one of the things I just want to make clear is, is I use the term exclusion zone. Uh, you'll also see in some of the other cities, they've actually used the term expulsion zone. But at the end of the day, the actual title of the ordinance would be called Enhanced Law Enforcement Area. An expulsion zone is just one portion of the ordinance that talks about the specific area where certain behavior Uh, Isn't tolerated, and somebody can be expelled from the 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 term "expel" versus "exclude" is to me a better word to use because it really, to me, it connotes uh, the fact that somebody has done something inappropriate or wrong, and they've been expelled from a particular area as opposed as opposed to being excluded. So that's the reason for that name change. Uh, To look at all the different um, ordinances, uh, Jennifer, I'll go to the next slide. We looked at 11 different cities throughout the state of Oregon. There's actually one in Vancouver, Washington as well These are the 11 that we are aware of I also have learned since the last presentation that there's another city or two that have also Signed on and doing a similar enhanced law enforcement area or an exclusion zone type ordinance The list on your screen is just six of the 11 And just to give you an example of the types of things we looked at, we looked at the types of areas that were covered, we looked at the types of violations that would take for somebody to violate in order for them to be potentially expelled. We looked at the period of time that they could be expelled for, and then we also looked at the the variance that could be allowed if someone is expelled from the zone. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in just a couple minutes here. Okay, Jim. So one of the important things that I want to reiterate is that the premise of the uh, ordinance is to target chronic negative behavior and it's not targeting any particular class of individuals. So in, in essence, how a, an established law enforcement zone would work is that the zone that would be selected would, in the first uh, iteration that the ordinance, when it comes to council, we will have Selected a an area based on higher than usual activity and bring that to council Council would approve that as part of the ordinance if council chooses to in the future if we Consider adding additional areas in the city Every one of those would have to come before council to approve those before they could be added so the actual process is if an individual is in the expulsion zone and they receive three violations or misdemeanor crimes in a uh, predetermined period of time, then they can be expelled. In essence, after their, fir- after their second violation, they would actually receive a warning notice letting them know that an additional violation will re- result in them being expelled. So after the third violation, they actually receive an expulsion notice And This tells them that they can no longer be in this particular area for a predetermined period of time Most cities go anywhere from 90 days to six months After the individual receives a notice there is a waiting period which also gives them a right to appeal It's anywhere from six to ten days depending on which city after they've after that appeal period has passed if the individual violates the order then they can be arrested for uh, misdemeanor trespassing The actual notice given to the individual includes a map of the area that they're uh, expelled from. It gives them instructions on how they can appeal the process. It also gives them instructions on how they can petition for a waiver for certain portions of the expulsion. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a second. And lastly, they're also given the consequences if they violate the expulsion order. So this is uh, at least an initial draft at some of the potential uh, crimes or violations that individuals can commit. Now, in some cities, and this is something we would also look at as well, in addition to committing three if any one of these incidents, um, some of the cities have taken the position that if you commit a more serious crime, like a felony assault, uh, sex abuse, uh, certain other types of more serious type activity, then you only get one time to commit one of those, and then you're automatically expelled from a particular zone. So we'll be looking closer at that and finding out the pros and cons of doing that. But that's definitely an option some cities are exploring. So um, one thing you'll notice on this list too is it does not include um, some of the violations I've actually seen in some cities that are now no longer um, determined unconstitutional, such as begging or loitering. So um, if an individual is expelled from the expulsion zone, there are um, certain types of variances that can be requested, and we would build these into the process, which is all part of the checks and balances of the whole program. The types of variances are that if um, you do receive, if you're expelled from the area, if you live or work in the zone, you would be allowed to travel to work or your home. If you have family members in the zone, you'd be able to visit family members. You'd also be able to meet with an attorney, uh, attend any alcohol or drug treatment programs, attend religious services, and you would also be able to exercise any constitutional rights such as voting. So these um, variances, again, uh, would be granted on an individual basis, depending on the individual's um, types of needs. At the same time, an individual simply driving through an expulsion zone would not create a violation. Um, the other types of variables that we're seeing in the cities, again, uh, are based on time periods. The time periods are anywhere from one month to six months or more uh, the period of time when you reach your three violations. So in other words, one, one city would have it where you have to reach um, three Violations or misdemeanors within a six-month period some it's 90 days some it's up to a year The other time frame is the period of time when somebody would actually be expelled from the zone uh, The average seems to be about 90 days in some cases it can be longer Especially if it's a more serious offense, but all that would be spelled out in the ordinance so we would know that in advance Uh, And then lastly as far as the variables between all the different agencies is the appeal process most of them appeal to their local municipal court and so you have an independent third party that would look at the uh, types of cases and make sure that uh, all the elements are there in order to um, uh, Make sure that all the proper procedures have been followed and then that, that the judge in that case could either uh, send it back and ask for more information, or could uphold the appeal. So um, that that's the basic premise of the expulsion zones. We're um, I've met with, or not met with, but I've at least spoken with several chiefs that are using this currently, and and I've got pretty positive feedback. And one agency uh was um, down in Ashland, they've seen as much as a 50% decrease in the chronic behavior type issues. Spoke to uh, the deputy chief in Bend, and they're seeing a substantial decrease in in activity. And spoke to a couple other chiefs that have seen uh, similar results as well. So, at least from the chiefs I've spoken to, the ordinances have the ordinance has uh, proven to be effective. I think uh, the one thing I think is important in looking at this particular ordinance is it really has a lot of built-in checks and balances to make sure that it's fair. Uh, It gives an individual every opportunity to stop the chronic behavior, gives them a warning process, it gives them a right to appeal process, and even if they are expelled, it gives them the ability to have certain exclusions so that they can still conduct their, their business or if they work and those types of things I mentioned earlier. So um, that's where we're at right now. If the council is uh, supportive of moving forward, the next steps would be for me to prepare or at least finish the draft ordinance, bring that to council for approval and uh, take it from there.
0: Okay, thank you very much, Chief. I know we have some questions from the council. I believe Councilor Herman had her hand raised.
5: Thank
7: you, Mayor, and thank you, Chief, for all of your work on the proposed expulsion zone. Um, you answered one of my questions, which is how other cities have done with such zones if they consider them to be effective. Um, and then I'm wondering, do you have a sense of where it would make sense to have an expulsion zone go in our community, at least initially?
5: Uh, Councillor, are you talking about the physical the area the geographical area yes so um, our our initial thought is based on statistics it would be the basically the downtown area it'd probably be very similar to the map that you may have seen in the city code where they use for the downtown parking area so that's initially what we're going to look at it could potentially be expanded a little bit further north towards the river But um, the city already has in the city code an ejectment ordinance that we use for the city parks. And it's a different process, um, but somebody can actually be ejected from a park for up to a year period. So um, that is already in place in the parks. So we wouldn't necessarily need to go that far, but that could be an option or at least some of the areas there. So again, before I bring this back to council, we're gonna look at the best we can, come up with the statistics and make sure it supports using that particular area. Great, that would have been my guess, but thank you. That's all I have.
3: I, have, I had a question, um, Chief Spaulding. I was wondering, and I apologize if you addressed this earlier, but with the, with the three incidents, could, could those offenses essentially happen in one visit, so to speak? So in that list, if, if the person has violated three or committed three of those offenses, does that count as three, or does it have to be three separate kind of instant? Do they have to go through the warning process and all of that before?
5: Right. I I would consider it more as three events. So if if an officer stops somebody and they've you know committed two or three violations at at the same time, I would consider that one event, and okay. they would have to you know be a different day, different time, and uh, and and again at the after the second one as you mentioned, you know, be a warning given too. So um, yeah, so hopefully that answers your question.
3: It does, I I just had one other question. So you mentioned that uh, other cities had seen a reduction in in that type of behavior as much as 50%. Is that um, statistic from that, the particular area in question or is it citywide? I'm just, I'm kind of wondering if the behavior just moves elsewhere or? What your thoughts
5: are on that? Right, the, the behavior, the reduction in behavior, is specific to that particular area where they were concentrating. where they actually identified an exclusion or an expulsion zone, so it wasn't citywide. Okay, thank
0: you. Other uh, council discussion?
2: Uh, yes. Uh, this strikes me as as a reasonable idea, and I appreciate all the work and and uh, research you've done on it. Uh, I'm I'm curious, uh, <clears throat> and it's also something that if if it has unintended consequences that we're not thinking about, the council could revisit it at a future date and and make changes. What um, suppose uh, Uppertown or Uniontown businesses there or people there felt that they needed to have an exclusion zone as well? What would their process be? How would how would that be decided?
5: well I, I, I they would either get hold of me or either through you know their their counselor and then ultimately get back to me we would do some research look at the numbers do some comparisons and see if the level of activity is is sig- significantly higher than other areas in the city that it would warrant a an expulsion zone if if the numbers support that then I would come back to council with a new agenda bill to um, add an additional expulsion zone to our current list of what will be won if this is approved.
2: Are the, are the, uh, the, the incidents based on arrests or complaints, or how, how do we determine the level of the activity in a particular area?
5: So, so in order to qualify to be expelled from a zone, all it requires is either having received a citation an arrest, um, or some other legal action, simply stopping and warning the individual would not qualify. So at least to have to have some formal action and a police report taken in order to qualify. We would, once after the first offense, their name would be flagged in the computer so that an officer stops them again, the officer would be aware that they've had at least one prior incident that qualified under the enhanced law enforcement area.
4: Thank you. Yeah, I think uh, it seems like a a reasonable uh, thing to do to look, to see how, see how it does work out. Because my question was the same uh, about, you know, how other you would kind of talk about that, how uh, other cities who have implemented this and how it's impacted. Um, and uh, I guess the, the only follow-up on that, did they give you a sense of, uh, so you put the ordinance in place, people become aware of it, were they having to, were they still having disturbances or were just having the, uh, the ordinance in place uh, seemed to have the desired effect for the most part?
5: I, I didn't ask that question. Uh, I, I wasn't able to hit all the chiefs that I wanted to. I actually do want to speak to all of the chiefs that already have the ordinance to see what pitfalls they have and if they've had any challenges. But um, of the chiefs I spoke to, I did not ask that question, but uh, I will add that to my list.
4: Yeah, because I know, like when we did the uh, for for the uh, um, uh, pan, the, the panhandle transfer, you know, uh, not being able to approach cars and whatnot, just having that in effect seems to have mitigated people's just kind of almost completely stopped that sort of uh, activity. So I'm hope hopefully this will have the same effect. Um, and when you're talking about exclude when you exclude somebody there were a lot of variable times. What are you thinking of? Are you thinking like the 90 days or um, what are your thoughts about how long somebody would be excluded?
5: I, I like the idea of using 90 days. I think it's a fair amount of time. It's a good amount of time so individuals understand that you know their behavior won't be tolerated. You know, And, and again, the, the process can be repeated. And in some cities they actually had, if somebody has been excluded once before, trespassed, and then they do the, the same incident, do three more violations again, then the time would double. Then it would go from 90 days to six months. I also like the model where if somebody commits a serious crime, like a serious assault in the downtown, robbery or some other uh, more heinous crime, then that would automatically be six months.
0: Okay, makes sense. Thank you. Okay, are there any members of the public that would like to speak to this issue? If so, use the raise hand function. On your, uh, on your Zoom settings. <laughs> yeah, okay, I don't see any members of the public that want to address this issue, and I, would, uh, I agree, Chief, with my colleagues. I support you continuing to move forward on this. Any, is there any more specific direction you need from the council?
5: Uh, no, Mayor, that, that should be sufficient.
0: Great, well thank you very much for your, your work on this. All right, thank you. Okay, next we have a proclamation uh, and I want to note this is for National Public Works Week. I do did, I did, I did notice Mr. Duncan watching the meeting and we have a, a Astoria Pride uh, proclamation for the next meeting. So if you're tuned in for that proclamation, that'll be at our first meeting in June. But uh, tonight I want to acknowledge our great Public Works staff with a proclamation. Uh, and I believe Mr. Harrington is dialed in on Zoom. Uh, And we'll present it virtually to him tonight. But uh, whereas uh, the city of Astoria's public works department is composed of professionals focused on infrastructure, facilities, and services that are of vital importance to sustainable and resilient communities. And to the public health, high quality of life and well-being of the people of Astoria. And whereas these infrastructure, facilities, and services cannot be provided without the dedicated efforts of public works professionals. The city of Astoria's public works department is the largest within the city, made up of three divisions, public works administration, operations, and engineering. And whereas the public works administration division has two devoted staff overseeing all aspects of operations and engineering divisions, public works operations consists of shop and yard, Streets, sanitation, sewer, storm water, and water sections. There are 23 dedicated, hardworking staff in this division. The Public Works Engineering Division has seven committed staff members responsible for a wide range of current and future capital improvement projects taking place in the city. And whereas together, these divisions are responsible for rebuilding, improving, and protecting our city's transportation system water supply and treatment, sewer collection and treatment, public buildings and other structures and facilities essential for our citizens, and whereas the Astoria Public Works Department is responsible for 55 miles of streets, nine bridge structures, eight miles of shoreline, five miles of rail line, 72 miles of sewage collection piping, 1,546 sewer manholes, 10 pump and lift stations, 80 miles of water line, 3,900 water meters, and 448 fire hydrants. And whereas it's in the public interest for the citizens, civic leaders, and children in the city of Astoria to gain knowledge of and to maintain a progressive interest and understanding of the importance of public works and public works programs in their communities. And whereas the year 2020 marks the 60th annual National Public Works Week sponsored by the American Public Works Association, now therefore I, Bruce Jones, Mayor of the City of Estoria, do hereby designate the week of May 17 to 23rd as National Public Works Week. And I urge all citizens to join with representatives of the American Public Works Association and government agencies to pay tribute to our public works professionals and to recognize the substantial contributions they make to protect our national health, safety, and quality of life. In witness whereof, I have herewith set my hand and caused the seal of the city of Astoria to be affixed this 18th day of May, 2020. Signed, Bruce Jones, Mayor, and I'm virtually presenting it to Mr. Harrington and his staff, and I will physically present it in the Public Works building on uh, Friday. So thank you, public works professionals. Thank you. And now we have uh, reports of councilors. Councillor Herman.:
7: Thank you, mayor. I attended a town hall meeting
0: with actually I should, of- I should I should. I should go back one and allow Mr. Normally when we are physically present, we do a presentation of a proclamation and then we ask the recipient to come up and say a few words. And I, because Jeff's not physically here, I forgot to do that. So Mr. Harrington, I'd like to invite you to to say a few words.
8: Well, thank you very much, Mayor. We really appreciate it and it's nice to be recognized. We do have a lot of hardworking staff that that are on call 24-7 to respond to emergencies with our infrastructure, our very old infrastructure that needs a lot of work. And I'm sure they all will be looking forward to to seeing you on Friday. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you. Okay, now, uh, Councilor Herman, sorry I interrupted you. Please go ahead.
7: Oh, no worries. I attended a town hall meeting with Representative Tiffany Mitchell and public health officials from the three counties within her district including Clatsop County Public Health Director, Mike McNichol, to discuss efforts combating COVID-19. I attended an informational meeting organized by the Historia Downtown Historic District Association to discuss business owners' plans for reopening, some of which opened last Friday, others are still waiting a bit. And I listened in on the Seaside City Council meeting to hear their discussion and decision to open the beach there. And I will also listen in on their meeting this coming Wednesday, which begins at seven to discuss when to open hotels and other visitor lodgings. And of course, anyone can attend the meeting remotely. That's all I have.
0: Thank you, Councilor Brownson.
4: Okay, Okay. I got muted again. I couldn't undo it, but I'm back. Um, Thank you, Mayor Jones. Uh, I don't have too much report. Uh, I'm I'm, uh, continuing to do work on the League of Oregon Cities committees, uh, both for finance and tax and energy and environment. Um, uh, I wanted to note that um, I also attended the Seaside City Council meeting. one of the things I thought that was interesting about it is that they took no comments during that whole meeting. So uh, I thought that that was kind of interesting. They had uh, they had a hundred people signed up on the Zoom uh, portion of that meeting, um, and again, no no comments. So I just thought that was interesting, and you know, along those lines. So um, they're going to be talking Wednesday about opening hotels. And um, I I noted in the Astorian that Cannon Beach has chosen to do that as well, Um, though there aren't any particular exactly details about what capacity, but I I suspect they're all kind of going partially open, not fully open. so I'll be looking forward to that discussion when we get around to that as well. I also wanted to note that um, the Friends of, Un- Friends of the Unsheltered, um, saw an email from them today and they're looking for donations. Uh, they've got a house uh, called Friend's House and it's a place where it's gonna be a low threshold for homeless individuals to possibly rent rooms. And uh, they're looking for donations, both money and uh, and things like chairs, cabinets, that sort of thing. And if you want to uh, get in touch with them, it's just friendsfortheonsheltered.org. And uh, that's their website. And the only other thing I've got is that I will be scheduling a a Zoom meeting for Meet Your Counselor on May 27th at 5 p.m. I will uh, post it, I will let the Astorian know. So hopefully it'll be in the paper and uh, I will post it on my Facebook page so people can know how to connect. That's it, thank you.
0: Thank you very much. Councilor West.
3: Um, Well, I also have been attending a lot of the meetings that um, Joan and and Councilor Brownson already mentioned, uh, just kind of trying to stay on top of legislation and um, what's going on locally. Uh, And Councilor Brownson, not to, correct you, but it's, it, the website is friends of the unsheltered. So if anybody is needing, wanting to visit there, but (laughs) um, also. Correctable. Okay. The last thing that I'll say is I just want to remind everybody to vote um, who's registered tomorrow's the last day to get your ballot. in. so um, you can no longer mail it. You have to drop it off. I think the closest drop box place um, for, Astoria's 825 exchange, um, but you have to do that by 8 p.m. tomorrow. So um, that's it. Just remember to vote if you're registered. That's all I have.
0: Okay, thank you. And Councilor uh, Rocca. Uh,
2: I don't have much of a report. I just uh, would like to give a shout out to really all of our businesses and, and let them know that uh, we're not, when we make decisions about the shutdown, we're not sitting in some ivory tower handing this stuff down a couple of us on the council own small businesses and we've gone through the same stages of hope and grief and terror that all of the other small businesses have gone through. Uh, in, in my case, uh, we're last in line to open again. We have a business that depends on a couple hundred people coming into our building and having dinner with us and watching a Broadway play. And they're with us for about five hours. And so by the time we can get open, I think everybody else will, will have opened. Um, and we've gone through the thing about hearing, that being the, the, the hope of hearing for these federal programs, and then the deathly silence that followed that after you apply for them. And so I understand what businesses are going through and, and, the, and the lag time of getting unemployment benefits for employees and so on. In our case, we have 50 employees. Many of them have been with us since the eighties and the nineties. So they're not cogs in a machine. They are friends and their family. Um, uh, so I literally know, know how that is and feel for you. I also want to shout out to the adaptability of some of our businesses. I happened to stop into pilot house, Distilling uh, a few days ago and asked them how things are going. And they said, what's keeping the doors open is hand sanitizer which they've started to make. Here's a sample. So smarts and adaptability at least can help help hang on until reopening happens.
0: Okay, thanks. Uh, very good. And, um, yeah, I'll second that uh, on the innovation and, uh, and resilience of many of our businesses that are finding ways to make it work. I've been trying to buy takeout meals and the Sunday market, actually. It's been great to go buy some... Uh, fresh picked that morning oysters and steamer clams from Willapa Bay at our Sunday market uh, rather than going to the big uh, uh, grocery store across the across the, the bay. Um, of course, phase one last Friday and then today the Baker uh, County Circuit Court ruling uh, in favor of the churches who had sued uh, and the finding by that judge that the governor's uh, executive orders are all null and void uh, at least at least for those plaintiffs. Um, if I were anyone looking to make any changes based on that ruling I would uh, consult with an attorney before doing that and the, the guidance we seem to be getting is that's probably going to come to the Oregon Supreme Court uh, very rapidly for a resolution and, and then there'll be more guidance coming out to everyone as to what if anything that ruling means to to any uh, organization in Clatsop uh, County. And then finally, uh, yeah, the, the Cannon Beach City Council voted Friday to open their hotels com- fully on the 26th of May. Seaside City Council meets on Wednesday to discuss hotels and possibly vote on changes. Uh, Clatsop County as well as Gearhart, Warrenton, and Astoria intend to remain aligned with the current guidance that hotels and short-term lodging are closed to leisure travel until Uh, until phase two and phase two could happen as early as June 5th if on the 21st day of phase one the governor allows us to go to phase uh, phase two and there's a work group in the county meeting uh, for uh, tomorrow to discuss what phase two for lodging uh, looks like so that's uh, that's my summary and uh, now our agenda are there any changes uh, to the agenda no changes uh, items on the consent calendar are considered routine and will be adopted by one motion unless a member of the council requests to have an item considered separately. Members of the community may have an item removed from the consent calendar by contacting the city manager by 5 p.m. on the day of a meeting. So, was there any request by the public? No requests. Uh, does the any of m- member of the council wish to have the uh, the one agenda uh, the one consent calendar item removed? No. In that case, could we have a motion to approve uh, the consent calendar?
7: I will move that we approve the consent calendar. Second.
0: Second. Okay, uh, roll call, uh, Ms. Benoit, if they can hear you.
1: (laughs) Councillor Rocca? Aye. Councillor West? Aye. Councillor Brownson? Aye. Councillor Herman? Aye. Mayor Jones?
0: Aye. Regular agenda items. Uh, Agenda items are open for public comment following deliberation by the City Council. So uh, those of you who are watching online, if you wish to make a comment on an item, please use the raise hand feature on your screen. And uh, then you'll be unmuted and um, you'll be given three minutes to speak after giving your name and address and that'll be for each agenda item we'll uh, offer that opportunity the first two items tonight are both public hearings related to community development block grants the first is for a uh, $150,000 emergency small business and microenterprise assistance grant for Clatsop County for COVID-19 community response and um anyone want to go ahead and read the okay and there's there's some legal language that must be read to make this public hearing legal the purpose of the hearing is to take comments from citizens on both the community development and housing needs in the city or county and the project proposed for grant funding the final approved meeting minutes must record and document that this requirement was met meeting minutes may be submitted in audio recording format if submitting final approved meeting minutes in this manner The applicant must provide documentation certifying the meeting minutes were approved and the location or counter information on the audio recording of the community development block grant portion of the public hearing. The audio recording format should be in a format that can be easily retrieved and does not require unusual or additional technological equipment. Otherwise, the final approved meeting minutes must be submitted in writing. The notice must be published or posted by the applicant at least... Seven full days in advance of the time, the public hearing is to be held by the local government. So,
6: Mayor and Council, um, this is a community development block grant application. Uh, which would be developed in partnership with the Clatsop Small Business Development Center, SBDC as it's many times referred to. Business Oregon and Columbia Pacific Economic Development District, or COLPAC, and the uh, intent is to be able to apply for this grant once Business Oregon releases a notice of funding opportunity within the next few weeks. This would be a joint project seeking, as the mayor said, $150,000 of emergency small business and micro enterprise assistance funds for the entirety of Clatsop County for COVID-19 impacted small businesses. The emergency business assistance grant is intended to help businesses remain solvent through the crisis and be ready and able to rebuild and or reopen, fill specific cash flow gaps in businesses larger efforts to scale down reduce expenses and take additional defensive measures to survive the crisis the city of astoria will make the application and will have a neutral small business and micro enterprise assistance committee developed to review the grant applications and make the funding recommendations i would note that the city of astoria is making application for this community development block grant Uh, for the entirety of Clatsop County uh, in that we have received community development block grants recently and have a number of the items uh, checked off the list to be able to make application in a more expedient manner. Colpac uh, will be uh, working on the grant writing and grant management. Mary MacArthur, who is their uh, director, has quite a bit of community development block grant experience in doing this work. uh, She was actually the grant manager for the community development uh, block grant, uh, which provided funding uh, to be able to remodel the Astoria Senior Center. Uh, She working with Colpac did uh, did that work. As the mayor stated, uh, a public hearing is required for this grant. as a requirement for applying for funding the purpose of the hearing is for the council to obtain citizen views and respond to questions and comments about community development and housing needs especially the needs of low and moderate income persons as well as covid 19 related needs in the community that might be assisted by the two proposed community development block grants this hearing being specifically focused on the $150,000 application. It's recommended that the council hold a public hearing and take comments on the grant application. Um, I did see earlier that uh, Mary MacArthur from Colpac uh, joined uh, the Zoom meeting if there are also any questions.
0: Great. Thank you. Are there uh, any any questions from members of the council? I had
3: one question. Um, in the documentation, it said that it is estimated uh, that the proposed projects will benefit at least 60 to 100 business owners. I'm assuming that that's countywide.
6: That is correct. Um, that is countywide and, and I have unmuted uh, Ms. MacArthur as well so she can chime in. And putting this together, because the community development block grant is intended to be able to assist low to moderate income business owners or low to moderate income uh, people in the county. Uh, could be their employees. Um, there, uh, there was a some need to be able to really look at um, how um, um, much we could provide, and in working with Ms. MacArthur, um, we had. Work to be able to say this is an approximation of number of businesses uh, and their employees that may be impacted. And Ms. MacArthur, do you have anything else uh, you would want to be able to chime in on?
9: Well, I, I guess the the, the most uh, pertinent piece of information is the, the the most recent statistic that came out that, um, and, and I think this applies to North Coast particularly in that is uh, Clatsop County has been. E- extremely hard hit by the the, uh, the, the re- restrictions and the closures. And that 40% of, of, of folks making less than $40,000 a year are currently without incomes. And I think that in terms of, of this is a perfect set of, of, uh, of funding uh, mechanism to, to, to address, those people that are, are most, the most hard hit in Clatsop County right now. And uh, the other piece is that almost a third of the business owners in uh, Clatsop County are uh, uh, sole proprietors and, uh, and uh, women-owned businesses and, and those are uh, other groups that have been significantly impacted by the, the restrictions and closures uh, related to this uh, pandemic.
3: Thank you. Yeah, I would fall into both of those. categories. <laughs>
0: Thank you. That, that definitely answers my question. Well, how did the, uh, the sum of 150,000, how did that become the sum? What determined that?
6: That is the maximum amount that can be applied for under this program.
0: I see. Okay. Because uh, on the one hand, it's great that it can benefit between 60 and 100 businesses, but 150,000 divided by 60 to 100, is, it'll be great. One or two thousand dollars if you're receiving that, but uh, certainly the need is much greater.
6: Yeah, yes, the, but the, the maximum amount for this application type um, is 150,000.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm glad we're able to go for the, the maximum. Yeah. Councillor okay. Brownson, Council Brownson, you had your hand up.
4: Yeah, I took it down, but I, I guess that um, the only question I really have is I'm, I'm not quite clear. Uh, if this is Clatsop County, why we are, how we're involved in this?
0: So, I mean, we're basically we're stepping up to the plate to help the county out because we can, because we have this pre-existing uh, community development block grant account and history oh, okay. of okay. success. We're able to do it for the county. So we're, you know, it, it'll be the the monies um, presumably would be divvied up relatively proportionally to other jurisdictions, not Astoria alone, so so we're just helping out our fellow uh, Clatsop County residents. Thank you.
3: Yeah, I kind of did some research on the grant and it looks like, uh, as was mentioned earlier, Astoria specifically is able to kind of check off a lot of the requirements for the grant itself. So um, essentially just making us more eligible or or giving us a better chance to apply uh, on the county's behalf.
6: So, so Mayor, and to further provide some clarity on that question, um, it was conveyed to us by Business Oregon that um, this would be awarded in more of a regional fashion, like a county scenario, that um, we wouldn't have individual cities being able to make application and receive those funds. And so there was communication between uh, the uh, jurisdictions within Clatsop County uh, with, um, with all the city managers and the county managers, uh, county manager staff, um, that because we had those items ticked off, that, that we would go ahead and make application jointly. And so those conversations have been made with the various jurisdictions. Okay, uh-huh. any
0: other counselor comment at this time?
4: Uh, just one more. more. So this is, uh, this is, these are state funds that are going to this? These aren't federal funds being funneled through the state?
6: These are, Community Development Block Grants are always federal funds uh, that would go to the state and then the state administers the programs um, on, on behalf of the federal government.
0: But it has so, nothing to do with the CARES Act? No. This these, is not COVID-19 this federal is not relief CARES funds, this, these
6: it's. These are no, community development block okay. grant funds. Okay.
0: Well, let me, let me open it up, uh, open up the public hearing. Are there are there members of the public, other than the council, who would like to ask a question or make comment?
3: Did
7: Joan have a question? Sorry. I, I did, but okay. I Okay, go ahead, sure. Joan.
0: You're a no, member of the public.
7: Um, I assume, hopefully, we will get the grant, and if that is the case, how soon before the funds would be available?
6: So, uh, counselor, what we have been told by Business Oregon, first of all, is that these uh, funds have, have yet to be um, um, released by the state yet. We're getting ahead of the curve and doing the public hearings so that when the funds are released um, and the application process, is opened up that you know we'll be ready to move uh, on getting everything prepared. We know that um, at least we've been told by Business Oregon that the soonest funds could be available would be after July 1st. These would not um, these would not fall within the current fiscal year.
7: Okay, and then one more question. I assume since so many businesses will receive grants. Assuming uh, the county gets the, the funding, and I, I think it's great that so many businesses will receive grants that none of them will be large. Is there a cap on the size of each grant?
6: Um, Ms Mary, um, I don't believe there's a size on the, the the cap of each grant that that's something that would need to be decided as a part of the the application, but you know the intention was to be able to have the most reach. Uh, is that correct, Ms. MacArthur? Okay.
9: Uh, The the, the block grants themselves do not uh, uh, look at the size of the businesses, but they do definitely target businesses that would uh, have an impact on low and moderate income employees
7: owners themselves. So mom and pop businesses. More like. Yeah, Yeah, which we have a lot of here. Okay, great. I I think even a small grant such as $2,000 can make a big difference, especially right now for a truly small business. So even though it may not get them out from underwater, it can help. I'm assuming the
4: idea would be to um, spend all the money. So if you had 10 grants, you try and spend it on, I mean, 10 applications, you would try and spend all the money on those 10 applications, or if there's 30, you would divvy it up in that way. Is is that sort of how it might work?
6: Yeah, I mean, Mary, I'm going to add, I'm going to initially take a stab at the question and let you chime in. My guess is we're going to get more than, than 10 applications based upon what we've seen from some other grant programs within the, the county. Um, Mary, your thoughts?
9: Uh, yes, I think that probably the, what you'll want to look at is, is fairly close to the block grant criteria relative to the, the, the moderate and low income impact and uh, because I suspect you will get more applications. That said, there might be other opportunities for uh, uh, for uh, business assistance grants coming up sooner. <coughs> block grant funds would come available though too. So it, it, I, I think that, I think you're going to be okay.
6: No. Mm.
4: So again, my kind of the just my question is that uh, we get the hundred fifty thousand. We want we will have the ability, no matter what, to distribute that full amount to the uh, community.
9: Fully, yes.
4: Yeah.
0: Okay. Are there any members of the public who wish to speak to this?
4: I, I see that David Ozer is clapping. Is he? Is that? No, I'm, raising, I'm raising
2: my hand, yes
0: uh Mr. Mr. Ozer, please, you have the floor. My, my
2: question is whether persons who are not United States citizens or who are undocumented uh, but have businesses here are eligible for these funds.
0: Have the criteria been specified yet? Yeah, I don't know that we have that detail. Mary
6: MacArthur, do you have any specificity I, I, on that?
9: I, I don't, I can't give a definite answer, but I, I do think that you do have to be a, uh, because they're federal dollars, you have to be a a resident of the United States.
4: Do we need uh, name and address for these comments?
0: Yeah, Mr. Ozer, could you, just for the recording, could you give your name and address?
4: Yes, sorry, Uh, David Ozer, 254 West Irving in uh, Astoria.
0: Thank you. Are there other comments? Okay, in that case, I will close the public hearing. And uh, we don't need a, a vote, right? It's, we do, okay. Um, the,
6: well, I don't, um, Mary, just to be able to clarify, the pub, um, in my understanding was the purpose is just to have the public hearing um, tonight, and since we have no application, there's, there's no formal motion required, is that correct?
9: Yeah.
0: Okay. okay, so, so no motion. No motion is required. Okay, very good. In that case, we'll move on to our next um, community development block Grant uh, public hearing, which is a $50,000 community response um, block grant. And I'll read the same language that uh, the state requires me to read which is that the purpose of the hearing is to take comments from citizens on both the community development and housing needs in the city or county and the project proposed for grant funding. The final approved meeting minutes must record and document that this requirement was met. Meeting minutes may be submitted in audio recording format. If submitting final approved meeting minutes in this manner, The applicant must provide documentation certifying the meeting minutes were approved and the location or counter information on the audio recording of the CDBG portion of the public hearing. The audio recording format should be in a format easily retrieved and does not require any unusual or additional technological equipment. Otherwise the final approved meeting minutes must be submitted in writing. The notice must be published or posted by the applicant at least seven full days in advance of the time the public hearing is to be held by the local government. (coughs) All right. Here's Issa.
6: Can you make sure that, okay. So uh, with this, Community Development Block Grant. The city staff have been working with Clatsop County, Business Oregon, and Colpac again to identify a plan to move forward cooperatively on an application once Business Oregon releases a notice of further of funding opportunity, which is expected uh, hopefully within the next few days. This is a joint project uh, seeking a public services grant for Clatsop County for COVID-19 community response for $50,000. Community Development Block Grant funds would be used for countywide purchase and distribution of personal protective equipment or PPE to support emergency responders and also public health workers, as well as costs associated with community testing. Uh, this grant, um, again, um, was an opportunity that was uh, uh, brought to uh, the city of Astoria to consider. Um, Clatsop County had been looking at su- submitting this grant, but it was advised by Business Oregon that the City of Astoria apply on behalf of Clatsop County because of our um, more recent receipt of community development block grants and, and have uh, uh, ticked off a number of the requirements. So with this application, uh, the City of Astoria would need to uh, make the application with coordination with COLPAC and then also enter into an intergovernmental agreement with Clatsop County uh, for the purchase and distribution of the PPE. Um, City Attorney Henningsgaard has been in communication with the county attorney already on this, and uh, once an application would be prepared, uh, that IGA would be able to be prepared, and that would ultimately be brought back to the Astoria City Council for consideration. So again, a public hearing is required by community development block grant requirements before an entity may apply for funding. The purpose for this hearing is for the city council to obtain citizen views and respond to questions and comments about community development and housing needs, especially the needs of low and moderate income persons, as well as COVID-19 needs in the community that might be assisted with the proposed two community development block grants, specifically this one for Uh, the PPE and potentially for community testing. It's recommended that the City Council hold a public hearing and take comment on the proposed grant application.
0: And if I'm not mistaken, inquiries were made regarding whether any of these funds could be used to purchase PPE for... For local s- businesses and not just for governmental entities, but it, it, at this point at least, the answer is it's for first responders and medical, right. yeah, or, or public health professionals. Not for not to be distributed to businesses. Okay, um, comments, questions from the council.
4: This, um, this is Tom Brownson. So I've got a couple. I've got a couple things. Uh, so this idea that it. Um, it has to benefit low and moderate income individuals. We aren't supplying low and moderate income individuals. Is the, what is the rationale? I'm assuming that again, this is a requirement of the uh, the block grant. That's one, one question. And um, then when you're talking about testing, uh, uh, help cover the cost of testing, uh, is there any discussion about uh, it also helping to pay for um, the lab fees for people who don't have insurance so that anybody who needs tested can be tested without having to pay. So a couple questions I have. Yeah, so
6: the, the first one is, is on the, the public services grant, we were looking at um, the number of individuals who are considered low to moderate income within our county and through the analysis which Ms. MacArthur and I looked at, it was felt that providing PPE to these individuals that there would definitively be benefit to low to moderate income, just purely on the number of people who fall within that category within Clatsop County. Um, Mary, do you have anything else you want to be able to add on, on that specific point?
9: Uh, no, the, other than that, and I, you did say this, that it, this is a requirement of the, the community development block grants, you do have to have some nexus with the uh, low-mod in, uh, income folks.
0: Yeah, and I think what we've seen in Clatsop County and nationally as well is you have a, a disproportionately larger share of people that are have been infected and hospitalized have been from uh, low-income uh, communities. And so
6: then on the second question from uh, Council Bromson, um, Councilor, that is the actually specifically what one of the things that at least Plats County would be looking at is is um, looking at how it could assist with providing those tests, perhaps uh, cost for, for the test itself.
4: Right, because I, it's, the test is free to individuals um, Except for, again, those lab fees, if you don't have insurance, it could be as much as $100 and and that could be a barrier. So I hope that is working towards that.
6: Yeah, and and Uh, Council Brownson, I I am aware that at least there have been some donations made to the Clatsop County Health Department to be able to assist those individuals who uh, have uh, not been able to afford the test.
4: Yeah, I understand that. And I, I and I really appreciate the individual or individuals who have stepped up and, and given that donation. Um, but I, again, for something like this, I, I would hope that uh, we would be able to take care of that ourselves and, and again, make sure that nobody has a barrier uh, getting a test who needs a test. Um, so. And again, I, I just, I'm gonna go back to that low and moderate income. So I just don't want it to be a, a, a point where when the, uh, when the state looks at our application says, well, it's kind of a stretch and, and that it may kind of toss it out. Do you feel that that's strong enough that that will be good enough for the state or do we need something more to make sure that we get this grant?
6: I mean, uh, the application itself has yet to be prepared because they haven't um, opened the process. But Mary, do you want to speak to how that is uh, quantified in the in the application itself?
9: No, I I think in terms of of, of just what's what's at least proposed or estimated. I think you're well within uh, a competitive application when it comes time. Uh, this is this is a tough. Uh, a, a, a tough, tough group, and a tough. I mean, everyone wants to see that PPE gets out to the general public. So I think that this is one of these uh, not sure things, but I, I don't, I don't, I don't anticipate any pushback from Business Oregon on, on an application from uh, the City of Ashbury on behalf of the uh, the county.
6: C- and Council Brownson, um, before uh, we completed the notice uh, for this grant. Um we had to work um, with um the state to make sure that we met all specific requirements to for the notice to be uh printed in the in the Astorian. And um this is one issue where we provided our initial methodology to the state uh to be able to have them review and uh and the the notice itself was uh, was given the head nod that, that we'd met all the initial requirements at this point in time. Okay, well thank you.
0: Councilor Herman, uh, did you have your hand raised?
7: Yes, thank you. I'm glad you raised that point, Tom, um, because I was a little confused about that as, as well. Do we have an idea about how we might go about distributing PPE to ensure that low-income people who need it can get it?
0: Well, just to clarify, it's not going directly to any low-income people. It's going to medical providers and county public health. Um, And the idea is that in their doing their work, they're directly assisting low-income people with the PPE. But the PPE is not going to people.
7: And would this equipment be distributed to hospitals as well as, or only publicly funded medical providers, such as, I mean, our fire department is a first responder and the county health department.
6: So it it must be um, used as uh, stated in, uh, you know, in the, the memo where it says, to support emergency responders and also public health workers. And so um, what happens right now is the county um, has um, a supply of PPE that is provided to emergency responders and and health workers that may need it and can help backfill those things. So there's already a network established within Clatsop County to be able to do that. And so um, if someone gets short, Um, you know, that um, there can be an ask made by an entity to the county for distribution of those materials.
7: that makes sense. Thank you.
0: Any other um, counselors that wish to speak right now? I'll go ahead and uh, open the public hearing. Are there members of the... Public. Ouch. Are there members of the public who would like to address this issue? Okay, I don't see any uh, hands raised, so I'll close the public hearing. And uh, again, we don't have to vote on this. Uh, I guess I'll just ask for a verbal, uh, that we have uh, concurrence from all the council to uh, proceed with being ready to apply for these once these funds are released? Definitely.
7: Absolutely. Absolutely.
6: Yes. And then, Mayor, again, um, at some point there will need to be an intergovernmental agreement prepared uh, for council consideration uh, regarding how the community development block grant funds for these materials um, would be transmitted to Clatsop County.
0: And is that something that might have to be done on short notice or was the thing we were most worried about doing on short notice was the public hearing the public care hearing that's
6: right right I think that we'll have to um, we'll have to look at that and, and work with Ms. MacArthur on the timing of when that's required. Just stay tuned I think is the best thing to say at this point.
0: Okay, and so the record could show that the Council fully supports uh, being ready to apply for both these grants. Okay, and item 8C is a resolution to establish a new custodial fund number 415 for pass-through grants in this fiscal year. So during
6: the last regular session, the Oregon Legislature approved House Bill 5050, which provided a pass-through grant uh, through the city in the amount of a million dollars for warehouse cleanup. And uh, this is going to be used um, at the former Astoria warehousing site, uh, which uh, Fort George is uh, redeveloping. Additionally, uh, we have a community development block grant to fund single family housing rehabilitation to serve Clatsop County, uh, Tillamook County, and uh, Columbia County. The, uh, as was noted before, uh, we are considering two uh, community development block grants uh, for the PPE and for small business assistance. And finally, a grant is anticipated to be coming through the city of Astoria from Business Oregon to assist with water infrastructure for the future Boland Hotel and adjacent to the Bowie Beer site, uh, which could have benefits for them. After consulting with our auditor, uh, Marina and Company, staff is requesting to establish a new fund, custodial fund number 415, to facilitate the tracking of resources and requirements related to the identified pass-through grant activities. It's not anticipated resources or requirements uh, would be incurred in the current fiscal year, but the establishment of this fund will assist in the processing of the next fiscal 2020 to 21 budget. So tonight, it's recommended that City Council approve the resolution to create custodial fund number 415. Uh, We have Susan Brooks, our finance director here, in case there are any questions.
0: Okay, counselors, any, any comments, questions? We're unmuting you now.
6: I have none.
7: No questions for me. None for me.
4: All right then. So do we need a motion on this? We do. So I would like to make a motion, this is Tom Brownson to approve the resolution to create custodial fund number 415.
6: I'll second that.
0: Okay, since you have a mic, can you give the roll call, Mr. Estes?
6: Councillor Rocca? Aye. Councillor West? Aye. Councillor Brownson? Aye.
0: Councillor Herman? Aye. Mayor Jones? Aye. Item 8D is consideration of an intergovernmental agreement between the cities of Astoria and Seaside for Astoria 911.
6: In December of 2019, the city of Astoria entered into an intergovernmental agreement with the city of Seaside to provide certified dispatchers to Astoria 911 to fill fill vacant positions. The funding of those temporary positions was within the city manager's spending authority. On May 1st, the Emergency Communications Manager retired from the City of Astoria. Uh, Jeff Rizzecki, uh was our Emergency Communications Manager. The City of Astoria then coordinated with the City of Seaside for uh, their manager to provide management services to our 911 center for up to 12 months. A prompt amendment to, to the IGA was required and to, in order to avoid any interruption in 911 services and on may 5th the city manager signed that revised agreement it was understood however that longer term expenditures from an amended iga would exceed the fifty thousand dollar spending limit of the city manager and after consulting with the city attorney it was decided to bring the iga before council for ratification in advance of needing that budgetary authority. So tonight it's recommended that council approve and ratify the amended IGA between the City of Astoria and the City of Seaside. But Before we do that, uh, I'm going to turn this over to uh, Chief Spalding to provide an update uh, to the 911 Center's uh, staffing. Chief Spalding.
5: Thank you, Brett. Uh, Mayor, members of council, again, Jeff Spaulding, your chief. Uh, so just by way of update on our communications center, as we last reported, uh, we were uh, suffering some pretty critical shortages in the dispatch center. We are actually authorized for nine full-time positions, and that doesn't include the operations supervisor position and the emergency communications manager position. We've been operating with four out of those nine positions. Um, That's been assisted by uh, Candace uh, Pozdolski, our operations supervisor. So she was a dispatcher prior to her assignment. And so she's basically gone in there and and just uh, working as a dispatcher. So we actually have five, including her. Uh, Obviously that leaves a little bit of a void in terms of what her role should be as the operations supervisor. Uh, So with those five we've recently hired two individuals Uh, one. We started about six weeks ago And uh, she's actually progressing pretty well although there is a steep learning curve And it can take up to six months to train a dispatcher We also hired another individual and he started about two weeks ago Uh, So we have hired two individuals and we're hoping that uh, they're successful in their training program So that obviously will bring some relief we are um, we also have one additional in the background process um, so that would uh, bring us one additional individual. We are currently conducting testing and we're using a new service through National Testing Network because in the COVID times, uh, we're limited in terms of bringing people, bringing people in to take written tests. So they actually can provide an online form of a test, which includes a video exercise and a proctored exam. And uh, so, so far that looks pretty promising. We actually have an active recruitment going on right now, and we've had about 68 people submitted interest. So far, 15 of those 68 people have already signed up to take the test through NTN, and uh, there's still about a week or two left in that process. Uh, at that point, we will take the, the highest rated individuals and then we'll perform some sort of an either an online oral board type exam, or we'll uh, bring them into the facility with social distancing considerations. So, um, We definitely have no shortage of interest. It's just the processing of the individuals and getting the right individuals critical, and of course they're going to have to go through the training, and then we also have limited capacity to train, so that's a little bit of an issue as well. But we're working around it. Uh, More on the short-term side, Um, we've been filling the gaps by using uh, two of the dispatchers from Seaside. They've come up. We reimburse the Seaside for their costs. Um, We also have. Uh, Another dispatcher that was a former dispatcher here in Astoria many years ago. uh, She is right now in uh, uh, working minimal hours in the city of Portland. So she comes out here for uh, two to three days a week and has been an immense help in filling some of those gaps. And then lastly, the current dispatchers are working overtime to fill the shifts. Uh, The situation, I will say, is much improved from where it was a couple months back. Uh, We're still in a relatively critical area, but... Um, Dispatchers are getting more days off than they were before and there is light at the end of the tunnel with the new hires and some of the short-term dispatchers we were able to bring in from Seaside along with uh, the other dispatcher that worked for us many years ago. So on the um, emergency communications (laughs) manager front, as you're all aware, um, our emergency emergency communications manager, Jeff Rosecki, retired a few weeks ago. We had anticipated that this would be coming at some point. You know, he had shared with us that this, um, after his wife unfortunately passed uh, fairly recently, that uh, we were um, uh, starting to look at uh, different scenarios if he were to leave and and plan accordingly. Um, He did retire about two weeks ago. So, in the meantime, we were fortunate enough to work out an arrangement with the city of Seaside to share their communications manager with us. For about 20 hours a week so he shares his time between us and seaside which actually provides uh, which actually provides several benefits aside from the fact that he's also uh, providing the services to us and and uh, keeping everything afloat he's also documenting our systems and looking at all our processes and uh, building a succession plan Um, this has also created an opportunity for us to take a close look at the operation of the center and decide what is the uh, best route moving forward as we look to decide if we're going to hire a communications manager or something similar? Uh, we are not in any hurry to do that. This is something we want to take our time and make sure that uh, we fully understand what the needs are of the center, make sure we get our staffing up because that's our highest priority right now, and then once we get our staffing up, our operations supervisor can move out of the center and fulfill her role. In the meantime, uh, my deputy chief and I are uh, assisting With uh, Mr. Brown from Seaside as he does his communication role and to make sure that we're helping plug some of the holes in the center as well. Uh, So right now I would say all told the center is actually performing well. Uh, Again there's light at the end of the tunnel for the dispatchers and we're um, making the best out of what was a pretty bleak situation but things have much improved I'm happy to report and uh, we just want to keep it on that uh, positive forward momentum so i'll report back again once the staffing improves uh, substantially uh, but that's where we're at today
0: okay thank you chief Uh, councils councilors any questions
3: i had a few questions but actually chief spaulding just addressed all of them in the update uh, specifically around the hiring a new emergency communications manager so um i just want to thank you and your staff as well as Seaside. i know this has been really difficult Uh, i also know that this is relatively common um for dispatch centers i know seaside i think was utilizing some of astoria's dispatch staff um, when they went through something similar i can't remember how many years ago but um i'm i'm glad to hear that uh you've hired a couple of people. I know it's um, a high stress job with, as you said, a steep learning curve. So uh, I hope they work out and I appreciate the update.
5: Thank
0: you. And Councilor Herman, did you have your hand uh, up?
7: Yes, um, I also wanted to ch- thank Chief Spalding for the thorough update as well as for the Astoria and Seaside Dispatchers for being willing to work overtime at an already stressful job, as justman just mentioned. So I'm really glad that things are looking up.
5: Thank you, Counselor.
0: Okay, then could we have a motion? Or I should ask first if any members of the public wanted to address this issue. Does anyone from the public want to address this issue? Okay, and could we have a motion?
2: I'd like to move that we uh, approve the intergovernmental agreement between the cities of Astoria and Seaside uh, for Astoria's 911.
7: I will second that.
0: All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Okay, that motion passes. And moving on to 8E, the, a resolution to transfer appropriations within emergency communications fund number 132 for the fiscal year 2019-2020.
6: So Oregon Revised Statutes provides guidance for the transfer of appropriations within a fund when authorized by resolution of the governing body. So again, uh, this is uh, corresponding with the prior agenda item that uh, when the budget was prepared and uh, approved, the city did not anticipate the retirement of the emergency communications manager. And in order to provide appropriate oversight, um, we have now uh, had an IGA approved with the city of Seaside. Therefore, a transfer in the amount of $25,000 is required between the personnel services and materials and services line items in this budget. It's recommended that council approve the transfer of $25,000 from the Emergency Communications Fund personal services to materials and services.
0: Any discussion? Okay, any questions from the public? All right, then could we have a, a motion?
2: I move to approve the transfer of appropriations with an emergency communications fund 132, the budget for fiscal year 219-20. 2020. I'm
7: 2020.
2: Uh, sorry, 219-2020. Uh,
0: <laughs> I'll second that. A roll call, Mr. Estes. Councilor Herman. Aye. Councilor Brownson. Aye. Councilor West.
3: Aye.
6: Councilor
0: Rocca. Hi, Mayor Jones. Aye. Um, item 8F deals with the uh, Promote Astoria Arts and Culture Grants and the need for some additional policy clarification due to issues with COVID-19 and spending those funds.
6: So at your last council meeting, the council provided direction regarding arts and culture grants to promote tourism in light of the COVID-19 emergency so staff uh, is requiring an additional clarification something that came up after the last council meeting uh, for those organizations who received funds in the current fiscal year who had to cancel their events and programs but did not seek a grant for fiscal year 2020-21 staff is recommending to uh, that Uh, these organizations be able to hold their event or program for essentially the first half of the next fiscal year and uh, use those funds. If an organization is not able to hold their event during uh, that time period, staff is recommending that the organization be allowed to subtract the amount incurred uh, for the uh, canceled event against The provided grant funds and allow the organization until December 31, 2020 of this year to return the unspent funds to the city. Return of funds by the end of the calendar year should assist most organizations to reconcile this award in their financial statements, their year-end financial statements. So it's recommended that council provide additional direction regarding organizations provided funding in uh, the current fiscal year and who have had to cancel their programs uh due to COVID 19. and our finance director susan brooks is here to answer any questions
0: so if, if we approve this tonight miss brooks how do you go about communicating these new rules to these parties who may not be watching the city council meeting
1: I would contact them via email. I have email and phone contacts for all the applicants, and I know who's applied in the current for next year.
0: Thank you very much. Any counselor comments?
3: Um, I would just say, again, that uh, as the executive director for the Astoria Arts and Movement Center, an organization that's been a a grateful recipient of this grant since 2013. I'll be recusing myself from the discussion and the vote.
0: Thank you. Others?
3: So the only thing that's
4: different here than our last discussion, we're basically just kind of extending the timeline, giving them a little bit more opportunity to possibly hold an event.
6: Yeah, I mean, the, the different scenario is, Last time, um, we were discussing groups that had received funding but had applied for funds next fiscal year and could use those funds all of next fiscal year. In this scenario, we have some folks who had received funds this fiscal year but did not apply next fiscal year. So What we're saying is they don't have to return them now but give them some additional time uh, by the end of the calendar year to hopefully use those funds as... You know, as allowed for uh, by state statute, and if not, uh, return any of the unspent authorized exp- expenditures. Um, uh, re- return the funds uh, that are remaining after uh, expenditure of authorized uh, expenditures uh, by the end of the year.
4: All right. So I, I think that's great. Um, uh, you know, if they if they can get something going. You know, that's what it's there for. And uh, if it doesn't happen, we'll get our money back. So good enough.
7: So just so I understand. um, So they didn't apply for funds for next year, but if they choose to put on an event, if they're able to before December 31st, is that correct? Then they can defray those costs with the grant funds from
6: this year. Councilor, um, the, the connection was lost a little bit and you are garbled for a little bit. So could you re-ask okay. the question?
7: Um, I thought I understood it, but now I'm a little confused. So they're receiving a grant. They did receive a grant for this year, but they had to cancel their event. So if they want to use those leftover funds for an event they could stage between now and December 31st, they could use the funds for that, is that correct?
6: That is correct. The, the one okay. caveat is, is the same thing that, that was stated last time is that um, to be able to utilize these funds, they still have to be for a tourism-related event. So if their event, let's say, um, is modified uh, to be one more for locals and not for Tourists, it would it would become ineligible under state statutes. So, so yeah. So, the
0: pride parade, for example, is an event that draws in a lot of people from outside town. If they choose to have a volunteer dinner, it yeah, doesn't count. Doesn't count. Yeah. Correct.
6: And that was applicable um, okay. on the scenarios we provided last time, and, and it would apply here. Just the the only nuanced difference is that all the assumptions from the discussion last time were that everyone had applied for funds next fiscal year and we have some folks who had not applied for next fiscal year and we're providing them with essentially another six months to hopefully be able to hold a tourism uh, focused event.
7: Okay, so they'd pretty much be left doing it in the fall since Mm, I assume if they attract gatherings of a certain size, They'd be restricted until we're out of phase three, I think. Is that correct?
6: Yeah, I mean, that would, I mean, well, and we'll have to look, well, I would also say it it depends, I guess, on the events as well because the governor has said no large gatherings through the end of September.
0: I mean, presumably, you could conceivably have a tourist-related event that complies with the governor's ban on large gatherings. We, We just have to see what that event is. Right.
7: Okay, thank you.
0: Yeah.
2: well, if I'm understanding this correctly, it also would take care of those organizations that uh, had been planning events and probably already had expenses uh, and it just gives them a little time to get everything in order and uh, before they have to return the money that they that they hadn't already legitimately spent. but so some correct. of them will not be able to hold events. correct to make up for it. so this is taking taking care of them as well. Yes, yeah. Well, I'd like to move that we uh, approve this uh, additional policy direction for the arts and culture grants.
7: I'll second that.
0: All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Okay, uh, item 8G is an IGA with Cannon Beach for building official and inspection services.
6: So in May of 2019, the City of Astoria approved an IGA with the City of Cannon Beach for building official and inspection services. The Cannon uh, Beach building official, Alton Butler, therefore serves as the designated building official for the City of Astoria and does the majority of our inspections. The initial IGA was capped at the City Manager Spending Authority and therefore needs to be approved by council so that additional amounts can be paid for services rendered. This IGA approval is needed for the current fiscal year and also would continue into the next fiscal year. Funds would be provided in the Building Codes Division budget and would be paid by building permits secured as they are issued. So it's recommended that the City Council approve the IGA with the City of Cannon Beach for building official and building inspection services.
0: Comments or questions?
4: I'd like to make a motion to approve the IGA with City of Cannon Beach for building official and building inspection services. I'll second
7: that.
0: And I don't see any public uh, hands raised. So we'll have a vote. Nancy oh, Ferber. Nancy Ferber. You have the floor. Hi.
1: I had a couple quick questions. Can you guys hear me?
0: Yes.
7: Yes
1: because I know that you recently approved the contract with Tony Clifton I'm wondering why there's two different contracts for two different building official professionals instead of spending you know half of that 200k salary previously approved on one person and question number two is why is this decision being made now instead of waiting for the new community development director to kind of staff her department you know with employees as she sees fit
6: so I'll take the, the last question first, um, Ms. Ferber. The first question is because there are uh, bills that need to be paid for uh, services uh, to we worked that um, that we need to be able to um, compensate the the city of Cannon Beach uh, for uh, you know for the work that's been done to be able to continue out the rest of the fiscal year. Um, continuing on um, with that, um, these. Uh, agreements that are in place do not prevent uh, the city of Astoria um, from hiring a full-time building official in the future. In fact, the budget, which will be coming forward um, uh, at the Budget Committee, will allow for that. Um, What these, uh, these Uh, contracts are doing is providing for the infrastructure to be able to serve the community as needed and then the new community development director working with myself uh, would be able to determine whether or not there is going to be the need and frankly um, looking at what could happen if there was an economic downturn, uh, the ability to sustain having a full-time staff person.
0: So these agreements the two agreements, the question or reference, neither one of them commit us to spending that money on those people. It just lets us, if we if we use their services.
6: Yeah, I mean this. I mean, with the IGA, it's it's providing for services rendered, um, and so it would be uh, providing that ability to you know to be able to have someone on board to be able to do the inspections, to be able to uh, and with uh, you know the one that was approved at the last meeting. Uh, there were a number of projects which are already in the queue, um, and uh, were uh, would be able to continue that work. Um, but you know, we would be able to, uh, if we don't need the services from the city of Cannon Beach in the future, uh, we'd be able to uh, be able to cancel that. And, you know, in the future, if we don't need the services of, of Mr. Clifton to, to be able to provide those services, um, we just um, don't have to, we would need to uh, you know, pay for the, the work completed and, and just wouldn't provide new building plans uh, for him to, to, uh, to review. This does not guarantee a, um, a payment. This is, both of these are for ser- paying for services uh, rendered.
4: And it was pointed out at our last meeting that when we were talking about Tony Clifton that um, right now a lot of this is because of the, we're sort of overwhelmed with uh, projects, correct?
6: Correct. And what this contract will do is be able to provide, um, once the, the, uh, once the permits are issued, they're going to need to be inspections and having Um, Mr. Butler there, would be able to provide inspection services commensurately. Joan has a
0: question. Councilor Herman.
7: Yeah, thank you. I would just like to get a clarification for something that was said a moment ago. The contract with Tony Clifton is for $167,000 over two years, is that correct?
6: No, it was $267,000 over two years.
7: Oh, okay, thank
0: you. Okay, if there's no other uh, discussion, we already had a a motion and a second. And all in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? All right, and the final item is is, uh, to offer a letter of congratulations to uh, Waldorf, Germany, our sister city, in celebration of their twelve hundred and fiftieth birthday celebration which they unfortunately had to cancel uh, that's ha- taking place uh, over this past week actually and i think um so we, did we have a, a letter okay no i got it and so um and is the intent to get everyone to stop by and sign? Or I can run around. Okay, so we have a letter to be signed by all of us on the council um, to the, the Honorable uh, Christian Stopp, Bürgermeisterin Stadt Waldorf. Dear Bürgermeisterin Stopp, on behalf of the Astoria City Council, Waldorf Astoria Sister City Committee, and citizens of Astoria, I congratulate you and the citizens of Waldorf on your historic. 1250th anniversary. We recognize with pride the special relationship between Astoria and our sister city of Waldorf, which began during the 200th anniversary celebration of John Jacob Astor's birth in 1963. Since then, the citizens of Astoria, Oregon, and the citizens of Waldorf, Germany, have enjoyed a positive and cooperative sister city relationship, including our student exchange partnership over 48 years the German-American Friendship Partnership Committee entering its 57th year, and the Strasse and Kriegi Circle dedicated roads in honor of our exceptional previous mayors. I'm certain that Waldorf and Astoria will continue to forge new friendships as we look forward to new opportunities for fellowship in the future. While we wish we could be with you in person to celebrate this momentous occasion, we are celebrating with you in spirit and look forward to our continued relationship for many years to come. And there's a signature block for each of us uh, on the council and Ms. Benoit will arrange to get everyone's signature. I'll sign it tonight. And uh, that is the last item on the agenda. Is there any um, uh, new business by the councilors?
2: I'd just like to tip my hat to the members of the public who have hung in for this entire meeting. It hasn't been the, uh you know, the sexiest meeting we've ever had are the ones with most passion and intrigue. So thanks, folks. Thanks for showing the interest.
0: All right. Now, is a thumbs up the same as a raised hand or is raised hand different? Because Your Pride hit a thumbs up, but that's not a raised hand, no. is it? Okay, okay. All right, are there any members of the public um, that would? Mayor, I'm, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Staff Oh, actually, that's right, we, staff... have a staff, uh, we have a staff report or staff. New business item. New business item tonight. Um, which pertains to, uh, among other things, parks and rec budget. So so, so um, I'm going to start
6: off uh, on this uh, topic and um, Ms. Brooks is going to be able to chime in and, and perhaps Mr. Dart McLean, uh, who is in the uh, council chambers as well. So over the past week, um, we have been Uh, wrapping up the budget. That's uh, specifically Ms. Brooks and myself working with all the various department heads. And we've gone through all the various uh, budgets and we're continuing on the direction provided by the council at the work session uh, where we're going to be preparing a budget for next fiscal year with operations, uh, provided for in budget line items, not knowing how transient lodging taxes or property taxes are going to be impacted. Um, as was stated at the work session, it's um, it's uh, going to be uh, something where our finance department staff and all the departments are going to have to be monitoring their expenditures and not taking on large uh, and unnecessary projects until it's de- been determined that there is adequate funding to be able to allocate those funds. However, um, as a, I want to touch on the Parks Department uh, funding. And uh, interestingly enough, there was an online article in the Astorian this morning about parks funding in uh, the cities of Astoria and Warrington and talking about um, some of the issues that were brought up at the work session, stating we, we didn't know when uh, programs like the uh, Aquatic Center would be opening up, And but it was acknowledged that it may be some time before those programs reopen uh, because of funding. Um, also, I was listening to uh, the radio this morning and, and hearing about how uh, the City of Portland Parks Bureau um, is struggling. And they're even looking at going to the bond measure, uh, going to the voters for a bond measure or an operating levy to be able to continue to provide park services within the City of Portland as a result of, of COVID-19. That is not something that we're proposing here, but it's just, it's just showing how uh, these types of departments are being impacted as a result of, of COVID-19. You know, our parts department um, has been hit um, significantly because of the lack of user fees um, for service provided, as well as uh, impacts and, and potential impacts from transient lodging taxes. So what I want to be able to, to touch on is, is understanding uh, what staff uh understands are the council's priorities um in looking at programs which are first of all keeping our parks and open spaces uh maintained and second of all providing child care we do not see opening other facilities happening anytime soon at uh, the second week in june the school district will be transitioning away from the emergency child care program that that they've been providing and so our little sprouts program will uh, be reopening Uh, there's quite a bit of of planning and coordination that our parks department staff are doing to be able to understand uh, what we're going to have to do in this new covid19 world and providing child care Um, it will transition from uh, what was a, a free program to a, a paid program, back to the, the way it was before. And uh, there's quite a bit of work that needs to be done to be able to ramp up uh, for providing those services. So in looking at other parks programs and saying you know, we, we're not anticipating opening those anytime soon, uh, our park staff and our finance staff are going to have to understand the financial impacts of transient lodging taxes um, how uh, that transient lodging taxes which go directly to the Parks Department also look at how the Parks Department budget could be impacted by the by general fund losses and really understand cash flow how cash flow is coming in and out through the city um, After we have done that work, we'll then be able to look at determining um, how much we would be able to open up perhaps the aquatic center uh, and open it up as we're able. It may be something where the opening is a few days a week for a few hours. I don't want to speculate what that looks like at this point in time because we just don't know. However, I would note that it could be some time depending on the financial impact of these sources uh, before we have other other parks facilities uh, open. But tonight, I did wanna make sure that staff are understanding the council's prioritization of services, of park services, um, now that we're planning to restart Little Sprouts. Um, and that really the priorities are providing childcare and uh, keeping our parks facilities maintained as as we are able. If there are other priorities um, other than child care, um, then we would like to be able to know that, so we don't put a lot of effort into ramping up that program and communicating with, uh, with parents. Um, I would note uh, that in addition to the COVID-19 fiscal impacts on revenue, uh, we also have Uh, something else that's going to once again this summer impact our Parks Department and that's the increase of minimum wages. Uh, This is something that has been going up uh, year after year and was put in place by the Oregon Legislature and this summer um, minimum wage increases are 75 cents an hour which uh, will effectively shift wage rates for all of our part-timer staff Um, and um, that's our, a big chunk of our budget for providing these services. Uh, when these um, minimum wage increases were approved by the legislature, it was noted that these increases at the governmental level would impact parts departments long-term uh, because the sheer number of, of part-time employees uh, that um, are employed by uh, parks departments Uh, there have been other um, additions uh, that the legislature has put in place um, which are beneficial to the employees such as providing sick leave and some uh, pers impacts but those have fiscal ramifications as well so um, we have this additional uh, item to be able to address this year as well this year's minimum wage increase Uh, for us at $0.75 is actually larger than prior year's increase, and we're actually going to see a $0.75 increase happen the following year as well. So this is something that we're going to continue to have to address. Um, Ms. Brooks, do you want to, I know there's some other items maybe you want to to touch on as well, if there's anything that, that you've got.
1: Sure. So, I mean, some of the difficulties we have is there's still a lot of uh, ways that revenues can be impacted. And so we, as staff, just really are looking for clear guidance on priorities what, where we need to be focusing our efforts um, with the budget. Again, the budget's going to be pretty much like last year's budget, understanding that we're going to have Constraints put in place from um, July 1st moving forward as far as the spending, but to know how to effectively uh, monitor and deploy the objectives is um, critical for us to know right now so that we can um, spend our time in the appropriate ways developing uh, responses to revenue restrictions. And um, we're fortunate that. Uh, a lot of groundwork had been made in the last couple years regarding the, the more realistic budget for the Parks Department. And although um, in the last couple years we've had some vacancies and um, have not been able to fully uh, spin up to the budget levels, that's actually provided us with a bit of a cash flow um, cushion uh going into covid which um if we had not done the work that we had done over the last couple years we would not have anything to draw on uh, for the short term the short term let alone the long term so we're we're always trying to balance our current needs and make those sustainable in the future and it's just a little bit more difficult this year with covid 19. so
0: so thank you, Ms. Brooks, and just, just to clarify, maybe for any members of the public, I mean, the, can you talk a little bit about the business model of the Aquatic Center? I mean, it's ever since it was built, it was built to be a money-losing venture, and by that I just mean it was, it was never envisioned that the Aquatic Center would be able to pay for its own operations through fees. It's always been subsidized and continues to be subsidized. So could you talk a little bit about what the actual you know, fixed costs of operating the Aquatic Center annually annually are and and how much do we cover by basically subsidizing it through the transient lodging tax and how much is paid for by actual user operations?
1: Um, I I don't know that I have the exact figures, but, um, I mean, there's fixed costs every year that that, uh, whether we're open or not, we have to kind of keep the water uh, at a certain temperature. We have to keep the air temperature temperature at a certain uh, amount. And those things are kind of our fixed costs, as well as the chemicals and the machinery, because starting and stopping those is not effective um, and and can actually cost us a lot more in the long run. Uh, It is an older facility. Uh, It seems like it was just built a few years ago, but it's uh, Actually aging and we are experiencing things breaking down and the park staff has done a good job of replacing lights and replacing pumps and um, doing a lot of work on the bed of the uh, pool itself so we're going to get the most longevity out of the uh, facility as we can but I would say uh, pools or natatoriums across the state are not money makers. Um, I think unless you have, and and maybe even this isn't a money maker. Wave pools that are outdoors in areas like Florida and California, perhaps they're prob- they're making money. But indoor facilities, um, it's it's very difficult. It's labor intensive. There's a lot of parts that uh, to to the facilities that need ongoing maintenance um, and replacement.
0: And as far as I mean, the labor costs of just I mean, maybe I don't know if Mr. Dart McLean can can talk to that a little bit. But the the it, when we're open full time, you obviously have to assume you've got people coming in all day. You have a certain number of lifeguards always on duty. You've got people that have got to go through the gym to make sure no one got crushed by weights. You got the front desk staff. Um, so, Mr. Dart McLean, do you want to talk at all about you know how how much of the when we're operating full time, how much of those operations are covered by the transient lodging tax and how. how I know you don't have exact figures, but I mean, how much is this gonna hurt us by having hotels essentially closed down?
8: Yeah, well, I mean, this was a good year for the Aquatic Center um, up until we had to shut down in March. Um, We were on track to be very close to our revenue projections of trying to reach about $100,000. I mean, putting that in perspective, the part-time cost for the facility is over $300,000. Um, so just for that piece alone, and that's hourly wages only, not including any of the PERS contributions or insurance costs as well. So it's tremendously expensive. Um, and also there's going to be a lot of variables as we reopen to know what these new restrictions, as far as um, an aquatic facility, needs to have in, in terms of cleaning and extra guidances for how many people could be in the facility at a time. So like uh, Ms. Brooks said, the overall cost of the machine running, as in all the, the infrastructure, can stay the same but um, just the cost extra to have staffing to be around in order to have a, to be a safe facility or conversely just to have it open a few days a week still costs a tremendous amount of energy that maybe isn't getting used because um, you know, the heat has to stay at a consistent temperature for the pools.
0: Okay, and I know I had asked Ms. Brooks earlier for just a ballpark figure for the, the cost to the city of the state mandated Increase in the minimum wage of 75 cents an hour, and I think the figure you came up with was roughly 60,000. Right, so it's, it's about a dollar an hour. About a dollar an hour when you include.
6: But total cost would to be about $62,000 over last year yeah. for that increase. For
0: yes. So, in, in addition to the tremendous shortfall on revenue that we had counted on from transient lodging tax. We'll have a $62,000 bill essentially from the state um, and it'll be repeated next year as well and unless legislation changes. I personally plan to contact Representative Mitchell, Senator Johnson and the governor's staff and ask them to uh, asked them to cancel the the legislatively mandated increase in the minimum wage. And um, I know it was done with the best of intentions in a, an ideal world of ever rising revenues, and we're in the middle of a, the greatest uh, economic crisis possibly since the Great Depression. And the last thing we need the state to do is to mandate that our local businesses and, and uh, local government have to increase wages across the board uh, in a time of declining revenues. But let me open it up to councilor comment.
4: Yeah, I think I think that's um, where we need to go. Uh, we need to go to the state and we need to push hard. and, and I think we should bring this up with the League of Oregon Cities as well. Um, this is the first, you know, this is the first that's come to my attention in all the discussions uh, that I've heard and LOC calls every week um, this is one, I, this is again, sort of one of those items that sort of falls through the cracks until you're looking at your budget going forward. And I think the intentions are are good too. And I think in a per- perfect world, you know, we should be increasing these minimum wages all across the board. Um, but it strikes me that, you know, that again, the, the city and other, uh, you know, we're we're just in this tough position because if we're in the private sector and we have these increases increases, normally you just you sort of absorb them, you, you increase the uh, you know the price of the food you serve or, or whatever it is, and we really don't have that ability. We don't haven't had that ability to increase our revenues. We are really stuck um, and on a tight budget. So even on a good year you know, it puts stress on our budget. So, um, I think, I think that's tough, but I hope that we can help, uh, the state go there. And I think that other cities would jump right in on this as well. So, um, yeah, I, this is going to be really, obviously, this is going to be really challenging. And I guess I also wonder, um, you know, we've got budget hearings coming up next week. Oh, yeah. And um, how much, you know, these are probably some of the discussions that are gonna go on while we're talking about the budget as well. So um, I think really have to start thinking about all the departments and how this is going to be impacting uh, the, the funding is gonna, lack of funding is going to be impacting us. So hopefully we can establish a, a clearer idea of how we could manage this. Um, so that's all I've got for now.
6: So, I mean, I, I would ask mayor to, the, the reason why this was brought forward tonight is specifically to gain guidance, whether or not the council's prioritization on park services mm-hmm. is childcare and, uh, and maintaining open spaces and parks to the best
0: of sure. our ability. So you're asking if we're okay with saying that we plan to either not open the aquatic center for some time or open it only on a limited basis.
6: Well, I would say if if
0: I mean what if are the, the other ca- options?
6: If the council had other prioritizations other than childcare, we could look at doing other things. It's just that because we are now in the process of 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 reopening Little Sprouts Based upon guidance from the council, what I don't want to have is a situation where we open things up, we go to the process of open things up, and then there's a change in perspective later on. I mean, there's always the ability to do it, but I'm trying to be able to have So, this in other words, you, you,
0: you want to avoid a situation where two months from now, council says, Well, wait a minute, why are we spending this money to operate a daycare center when, when we could have had the pool open? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And do you have any? Uh, idea yet, Mr. Dart-McLean, what the um, demand is going to be? Can you can you project the demand over the summer for Lil Sprouts in this new strange world we live in where we don't know whether parents are going to be going back to work or not?
8: It, it's a really hard thing to answer and we're still, it's the same kind of uh, constraints where with the pool um, there's different limitations we'll be facing and with the uh, child care we'll have smaller ratios, and we'll have a smaller capacity for the number of children we can serve. So inherently, that uh, model will serve less families, and that may be impactful for, say, a family that has a school age child and a child that would be in daycare. Um, you know, if, if one of their child children is cared for during the summer months, but another one is not, because in this scenario, we may not be able to be uh, opening the day camp <coughs> at the ARC as well, since that's a different program also that has its own set of um, challenges. So um, it's very hard to say, I would say, Given the lack of childcare in this area, it's not inconceivable that we would um, meet the maximums we are allowed in phase one. Uh, it's just hard to say and it's hard to predict what those impacts would be similarly with the amount of um, extra cleaning or resources we would need to have to operate the program.
0: And in terms of um, limited openings of the aquatic center, so I know a lot of, at least I'm, I'm guessing, that a lot of your revenue comes from people that get the monthly passes or even they buy 12 months of, you know, they buy the, an annual, mm-hmm. like a, I, had, I had bought a 12-month pass. If you're only going to be open a few hours a week or a few days a week, that's really going to impact that. I mean, people are going to say, hey, wait a minute, I paid for a full month, and you're only let me come in and Monday and Wednesday. So have you thought, had a chance to even think through yet how that's going to impact revenue for the days you are open?
8: It's very difficult, uh, again, to predict. I mean, we will say we're the only... Pool in the area, so we do kind of have uh, the market share of what people would want to do as far as a fitness facility that includes a pool and it is a very, very good facility. Um, but you know, one of the recommendations from the parks master plan in 2016 was extending the aquatic center hours, and this would be probably diametrically opposite to that of saying opening later in the morning, having Periods of closure, maybe throughout the day, and then you know a smaller um, amount of days open or times open to the weekends in the winter, or summer months, depending on where the demands are. Excuse me,
4: Jonah. Could you talk, not to Bruce, but talk? And this, we 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 lose you there.
8: Yeah, I I was just saying that um, with the operations of the aquatic center, uh, we may be looking at a reduction, which is in opposition to what the recommendation for the 2016 parks master plan was, as far as the hours of the facility are. And uh, so that also just limits the amount of of times people could be in the facility, Um, but I do think we have a facility that people do enjoy using, and it's very important for our area and pretty unique in the services it provides. So it it is sort of a balance of the people that truly want to use a pool and fitness facility probably will still go there.
0: I, I absolutely hate the idea of either keeping the Astoria Aquatic Center closed or having it in limited hours because it's such an important community need. But I feel the same about childcare. So I mean, if if it, it sounds like it's coming down at least in the short term, um, it's coming down to a choice of one or the other. So I would I would uh, say that the childcare is critical to getting working families able to work, and um, we'll open the aquatic center as much as we can find a way to afford, that would be, that would be my sense. So what do, what do my fellow counselors think? Uh,
2: Go ahead, Roger. I, I'm just saying, I'm in total agreement on that. I think they have nailed the two most important priorities, trying to keep up as best we can with maintenance. But the child care is so critical as, as businesses start to try to reopen as our uh, service providers uh, try to do their jobs in the absence of any uh, private providers um, it's falling on us to provide that. And I think, I think those are exactly the right priorities.
0: Thank yeah, you. I, I
4: just I want to finish up here and I, I want to agree with Roger. Um, and, you know, and before I can even be think you know, thinking about the, the aquatic center, I really am, would be interested to see what the plan is and how that works. You know, one of the things that, you hear right now with, uh, again, going to the private sector again to restaurants that potentially want to open up, but under the circumstances when they can only pot, may, you know, maybe they're only going to 50% capacity, they can't make enough money to stay open, uh, to staff and stay open. It, it's a real challenge when you don't, and we would be in the same situation because yeah, we wouldn't so- be able to service as many people at the same time as the pool if we want to, I think. Um, so I'll be really interested to see what kind of plan. And the other thing that hasn't been brought talked about, and I'm just assuming we're not even looking at it is the recreation center. And what are we, do we have any ideas what's happening there uh, going forward as well? Are we going to open up classes again? Uh, can it be used for further childcare?
6: Um, I don't know. so so um, Councillor Brownson, so first of all, in, in response to some of your questions, the county's reopening plan has reopening of, of public pools in phase three. Um, and it has right now kind of a, a generalized statement saying with protocols in place, those have yet to be developed because it's in phase three and we haven't even made it to, to phase two at this point. Right. So, but you're probably correct. There would be reductions in the number of people that could be in in the pool at at any time or in the facility at any time uh, to be determined. Um, as to the the rec center, um, you know with this first, with looking at providing pool facilities, we would be looking at allowing people under social distancing requirements, to be able to utilize the pool, and also Program. the, the um, workout machinery um, that's, that's, that's in the, the, the pool now. Um, I will tell you that our Parks Department staff have been thinking about when we do get ramping up to um, a more stable funding uh, situation, probably what is going to happen is that we're going to be offering rec center programs in the Aquatic Center first before we start scaling to another facility. Um, opening up another facility adds a whole, another set of, of staffing requirements and and our, at least our park staff are looking at what can we do incrementally um, as we're able to get in a better uh, funding situation. John, anything else. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. Any other uh, councilor comments? Councilor Herman. Yes. Joan?
7: Thank you. Um first of all, I you may have answered this earlier, Brett or Susan, but what percent of the park's budget comes from lodging taxes, roughly?
6: Susan's rolling her eyes thinking, so okay. just one that's all right.
0: Not not rolling them at you, Councilor Herman. Yeah, no, she's yeah, she's, she's, she's rolling they're, they're rolling in the back of her head as she's trying to do the calculations. Okay. <laughs> uh,
6: yeah she's saying she would need to get back um that's fine because um so Councillor herman it's it's let me tell you kind of how it works is okay after
1: conferring with jonah probably
6: about half about about 50 percent. about 50 percent
7: oh wow
0: yeah so that's huge okay so it's actually it's a it's at least a, a, a blessing in disguise you might say that we're essentially forced to keep the aquatic center closed now until phase three. Yes. Because we wouldn't have been able to open it anyway. And so at least we we don't have to make that tough choice right now. It's been made for us by the state.
7: And I thought Little Sprouts, I must be mistaken, but I thought it paid for itself.
0: So, so we, we had a long discussion today about that.
6: So oh, okay. um so a number of I want to say a number of years ago, um when Angela Cosby was here as director. Um, I will say that at that point in time, L- Little Sprouts um, definitely uh, was paying for its uh, its its staffing, and probably was closer to paying for um, its uh, you know for it being a wash, where you could say generally, yeah, it's a wash, but. Since Ms. Cosby has left, we are, and going through this summer, we'll be through three years of minimum wage increases. Oh. We'll have been through um, the requirement uh, to provide sick leave, to be able to provide um, additional PERS benefits, um, and just the inherent increased costs of, of running a facility. Um, and um, Mr. Dart McLean has noted that you know we're we're um, we're really kind of topped out at what we can charge um, at this point in time. Yeah. So um, maybe at one point one point in time it definitely was close uh, to uh, breaking even. It is it is not now, and especially in COVID nineteen times, the additional costs that are. Uh, required to be able to provide the services with reduced capacity and additional requirements. It's it's um, definitely not.
7: Okay, well, I agree with what has been said that childcare, the availability of childcare is at critically low levels in our community and countywide. So I think it's really important to continue that program. But I also feel I would much prefer having the aquatic center open on a limited basis basis rather than not at all, because it also provides a really important service for many children as well as seniors, people with disabilities, um, not to mention, you know, everyone who wants to go and swim or work out in the workout room. Um, And I'm curious, keeping the aquatic center closed until well through the end of the summer, it sounds like, is that right? we'd
0: have to they have not defined a start date for phase 3 but it okay. the vague description they gave it sounded like it was a way more than 21 days after phase 2
6: and then, and then okay. after that we're going to have to understand where we are fiscally um you know and right. and understanding you know when hotels reopen um how many people are coming in and visiting um i mean it was. You know, if, I mean, will hotels only be able to open at a certain percentage We We don't. I mean, there are all these variables that will affect the amount of transient lodging tax that comes in. Right. And then, as Councillor Brownson was saying, is, um, you know, if, and, and Mr. Dart McLean was saying, you know, we, we brought in $100,000 in the pool, you know, up to, the, in the good times, if we're only allowed, I don't know, 25, 50 people in at a time, social distancing, you know, that could definitely impact our revenue uh, to operate the pool as well from from user fees.
7: Okay. Is the fact, I mean, the fact that we're closed now for at least some time um, because of the governor's orders, that is helping us for now though, isn't it? I mean, is that gonna build
6: us? Well, I mean we, we still do it? have expenses. Least- I mean I mean I say helping um I mean I, I guess it, it we don't have any pressure uh to open the aquatic center now because it's not legally able to do so. Right. Um but we do have expenditures because we are we're not keeping the pool heated um like we were Um, but we do have to still make sure that it's at a certain temperature because we don't want to damage the investment. So utility costs are less than they were when we had it operating, but we still have utility costs there.
7: Okay, all right. I just hope we are able to open on a limited basis.
6: Yeah, I will um, say, I mean.
7: Whenever it is.
6: Yeah, I mean like other parks programs, I mean I, I, I hate to compare, our parks programs to the city of Portland, but the city of Portland has canceled all parks programs throughout the entire wow. summer. Wow. And so that's the reality in the largest city in the state. Okay.
3: Um, and I, I just kind of wanted to reiterate, I think, what in support of what people have already said about uh, prioritizing childcare in particular as people start to go back to work. Um, also as we are uh, not continuing the emergency child care services. Um, also, you know, the, the state order around public pools um, or aquatic facilities has been pretty clear. I mean, it, it looks like if we would not, even if we wanted to be able to reopen the aquatic center until phase three, And then I think it was Mayor Jones that mentioned, um, it probably won't be for several weeks that we'll even see the clear state guidelines uh, around what that's going to look like. So things like capacity and PPE. I mean, right now gyms are included in the phase one, what's allowed. Um, and those guidelines are also very clear, um, but if they include any kind of, uh, public bathing facilities, those have to stay closed, which I obviously are important aspect of the aquatic center. I do have concern around, um, I mean, similar to restaurants, the financial ability to open at limited capacity. So, um, I just, I think we'll have to take a close look at that as we get closer to phase three. I, I know there's a lot of people that would like the aquatic center to be able to open, but I just think it's going to be a, a ways down the road. Um, but I, I do think that starting uh, Little Sprouts again is, is great. I know it will be different from before, um, but I think that's all I have to say.
0: And I'm sure that you'll be on the lookout for any type of grant funding that might come available for child care support as well as health grants because, really, a lot of the seniors uh, use that aquatic facility. It's a very important part of their their health maintenance and preventative health care that saves them money from having to go to the hospital by staying healthy. So I just don't know what kind of grants are are ever out there for, for health facilities.
6: I mean, we will be looking for any... Uh you know, any grants or any state or federal programs that could come up along the way uh, to be able to assist?
3: I know that there is a lot of advocacy right now. I mean, even with the um, the fourth, potential fourth CARES Act for support uh, to go to cities for things like parks and rec that have been so um, negatively impacted by this. So, you know, I, I think that's something that we're all hoping for uh, is that direct relief of, um, at the federal level. So we don't have to hopefully have conversations about a not increasing minimum wage or, um, yeah. I know, for myself, I'm, I'm hoping to see that relief come from up above and, and not down below, so to speak. So um, that's just something that I've been watching pretty closely.
0: Any other comments? Okay, I think that was all the uh, new business. (laughs) Last call for members of the public to make public comment. All right, then. In that case, uh, thank you all for staying with us until 9.17 p.m. and we are adjourned.